morning. Uh, I hope everybody had a, a really joyful Easter. Um, the weather was uh, wonderful and perfect spring Easter weather. Uh, this morning, I'd like to talk about a, a topic that may seem like sort of an odd topic to discuss the day after Easter, um, but want to look at, at the idea of doubt and doubting. Um, I know that some of you are sitting there today um, with faith that is uh, impacted by doubt. It may be the kind of doubt that keeps you from faith. Um, it may be uh, you doubting that following Jesus is actually really truly worth it. Um, it may be uh, doubting that you need to follow him now, that you always have time and that now is not that time. But I, I think probably more honest and more relevant to us here is uh, doubt in the midst of faith. Um, we probably believe that Jesus died on the cross. We believe in the resurrection, that he actually rose bodily from the grave. We believe those things, but perhaps we've encountered something in our lives, um, an event that's so hard that it makes us kind of reevaluate, makes us kind of um, rethink our faith and where we are uh, with our faith. Um, it could be something else. It could be a bit of a, a theological slow burn, if you will. Uh, maybe you've gotten here to covenant and um, you've been exposed to or have been thinking about predestination and, and you're finding it hard to understand how predestination is consistent with uh, a loving God and you have doubt. Uh, perhaps you're a woman and you're, you're reading uh, through hard passages in the Bible trying to figure out how do these passages hold consistent with the heart of Jesus where we see him loving and honoring women so clearly and you find yourself maybe doubting but not wanting to doubt. Um, for any of us who, who are not currently doubting, I'm sure we have doubts that come in different ways and at different times. I was sitting on my back porch last night um, and the stars were out and it was just absolutely stunningly beautiful. And I was looking at the stars and thinking about how far away they are. And I felt the, the significance of my insignificance and had that, that moment of like, what is this? Not that I'm, I'm doubting who I am, but, but, but that question of what is this? And that's on Easter, Easter day. Um, but if we're not doubting, and if you're not doubting now, you will be. There, there is doubt in store for each of us, and it's not a bad thing. Um, and God knows it. He knows that we will doubt, and he speaks to it in Scripture. And the story of Thomas is a great example. I hope... Uh, that this story that took place immediately following the resurrection of Jesus, I hope that in it you will find both a brother that gives you hope, a brother that would empathize with you, and hope in how Jesus responds to this brother. Um, we're going to pick up in John 20 after Jesus has risen, but let me read this from John chapter 20 beginning in verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his, sides, his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. 
Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Uh, Father, thank you for your holy word. Thank you that you reveal yourself to us in and through it. Please, Father, now speak to us uh, by your Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we pick up in John chapter 20. Scripture tells us that on the evening of the first day, we'll back up just a tiny bit, the first day of the week, the doors are locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. The doors are locked and the disciples are gathered together. The death of Jesus had driven the apostles apart. They had scattered when Jesus was arrested. When Jesus is in the grave, there's no fear. There's just sadness. Their friend, the Messiah, their Savior, is gone. Their master has been crucified and murdered. But he's no longer in the grave. And while it brings hope, at least a spark of hope, to the apostles, it brings uh, concern to the officials. So the apostles are, are together. They've got the doors locked because they don't know what's coming from outside. But they know that what's outside is not good. When they, where they are there with the doors locked, they're in fear. But Jesus comes and stands among them and says, peace be with you. And with his appearance, he turns that fear into hope. And in a sense, the world is kind of turned right side up. At least it's beginning to be. But there's one of the apostles that was not with them. Thomas. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. And he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now, even though he's been told the truth, he can't believe it. He's a skeptic, right? Um, but maybe a better way of describing Thomas uh, is not so much as a skeptic, but He's a follower of Jesus who's experienced something that is so disillusioning that he can't believe that an event has happened, even though it's told to him by his closest friends. People that wouldn't lie to him, people that love him, people that he loves, but he simply can't take their word for it. Is he skeptical of what they're saying? Yeah, he is skeptical of what they're saying. But Thomas is an all-in follower of Jesus and has been. If you remember in John chapter 11 with the de uh, death and resurrection of Lazarus, Jesus waits a couple of days before he goes to raise Lazarus from the dead. And when he says we're going, the other apostles are like, look, we can't go there because they're going to kill us. And Thomas is the one that like, let's go. Let's go and die with Jesus. He doubts the resurrection. That's where he's sitting right now, doubting the resurrection. But, but hold on there for one sec. Because when we talk about the resurrection, we call it the resurrection, right? Because we know what we're talking about and we know what it means. It's the resurrection. It is the most important event in all of history. It is the penultimate event in history. For him, though, 
For Thomas, it was simply he doubted that Jesus could possibly be alive. And it makes sense, given what he's seen over the course of the last week. Thomas's life has literally been turned completely upside down. His friend, Peter, denied Jesus. He watched Judas betray Jesus. And then he heard later that Judas had hung himself and was dead. The apostles, he had run and scattered when Jesus was arrested. It was Israel's own religious leaders who, who were conspiring to kill Jesus and who killed him. He saw the sun literally darkened, a massive eclipse on the day of that crucifixion. And his doubt, his doubt is an honest, real doubt. I think Thomas would have said to, to his friends, I believe that you believe what you saw, but it is simply too much for me to take your word for it on this. Too much is at stake here to simply easily believe this. Um, Brian Salter at LMPC quoted a, a great Yaroslav Pelikan quote yesterday um, in his Easter sermon. And it goes like this, if Jesus is risen, nothing else matters. If Jesus has not risen, nothing else matters. <clears throat> and I think that accurately captures Thomas. Look, if Jesus is dead, nothing else matters. But if he's risen, nothing else matters. And he can't simply take the word of somebody else for it. He knows that Jesus was dead. And the scripture tells us eight days later, the disciples are inside again, and this time Thomas is with them. And all I can say about this is, eight days is a long time when your life is on hold. Have you ever been in a, in a position where one day seems like an eternity? Maybe it's something positive. Maybe you're waiting on news of a scholarship and you're waiting and a day goes by and two days go by, three days. Or maybe it's something even, even more um, challenging. Maybe it's a medical diagnosis for you or for someone that you love and you're waiting. Well here, they're waiting to know, is what the apostles saw real? Eight days go by. And it's okay, I think, for us to see in this that it's okay to wait in doubt. That it might be our lot to sit in doubt and have to wait before that doubt is resolved. Jesus lets them wait for eight days, and I don't know why he let them wait for eight days. That is an awfully long time. Thomas had, had made clear what he needed to see and know, but Jesus waited for eight days. So there they are together, waiting perhaps wondering, where is Jesus? He appeared to us once. We're his closest friends. He's alive, but he's not with us. Where are we? Where is he? What is he doing? Is it possible that perhaps Thomas, after three, four, five, six days, begins to maybe even encourage the other apostles who are wondering, where is Jesus? Did we actually see what we think we saw? Well, and then scripture tells us that although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and again said, peace be with you. No one knows where he was, but now they know where he is. He shows up and he says, peace be with you. And here's what's so great about Jesus saying, peace be with you, is he can actually give it, right? We can say to one another, peace be with you, brother. Peace be with you, sister. 
But Jesus actually gives and brings peace. All of the wondering and the worrying and the doubting and the questioning. And he says, peace. And we know that Jesus brings and gives a peace in a way that no one else can. In John chapter 14, when he's talking about um, leaving and going away and then coming back to get the disciples and bring them where he is going, he says, I'm going away and I'll come back for you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. And then we get to the heart of this passage, the heart of this interaction, right? It's Jesus and Thomas. And scripture says that Jesus looks at Thomas and he says, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Please don't hear in that Jesus chastising Thomas. He meets him fully, exactly where he is. He knows what Thomas has said. He knows exactly what he wants. And he knows exactly what he needs. See my hands? He sees the holes in the hands. Put your finger in. Put out your hand and put it into my side. Not, not a rebuke. Not, oh, how could you doubt Thomas? But instead, an invitation to believe. And friends... That is how Jesus addresses doubt. He meets us in it. He knows all of it. He knows exactly what we want. He knows exactly what we need. And he answers it in perfect time. Gentle. Kind. And Thomas answers him, My Lord and my God. Master, you are alive. And that means only one thing. You are God. This is the first time in the gospel that Jesus is called specifically my God. And it pulls us back to the beginning, right? To the beginning of John's gospel. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And now the word is actually known. My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, you have believed because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Thomas, I understand that you needed to see to believe. But there are those following you who won't have that opportunity. And actually, very soon, you too will have to walk by faith when I ascend to the Father. Paul talks about it later. We live by faith, not by sight. We will not see Christ until we are gathered to him. The life that we live now, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and died for us. We live by faith, not by sight. The doors are still locked. There is still things to fear outside those doors and they're going to have to walk outside soon and they're going to have to do it by faith. A couple of years ago, a friend and a, pastor, a professor at Covenant Seminary was speaking on Thomas and he made this amazing quote about walking by, by faith. And it goes like this. His name is Zach Eswine. And he said, maybe when you first became a follower of Jesus, you felt and saw and things were so wonderful. It was so real and so practical. And now you've walked with the Lord a while and you don't feel like you once did and you wonder if you've lost something. And then Zach says, maybe you haven't lost something at all. Maybe you're growing up. Maybe you're growing up into what it looks like 
to walk by faith. I hope you hear that as an encouragement. We walk by faith. But friends, this is the heart of what's happening in this passage. Doubt is not a problem, but it is an invitation. Please hear that. I know, I know that there were those of you sitting out there with deep-seated doubts. Don't see those as obstacles. Do not see them as problems. Don't see them as you being a poor, weak Christian. Instead, see them as an invitation from the Father. How is the Father inviting you to deeper relationship with him? What do you do with those doubts? Be they small or huge? Be honest with yourself first and acknowledge what they are. And then take them to your friends. Take them into community like Thomas did. He was there with people that loved him and he was honest about his doubts. And he told them, look, yeah, I'm doubting. Unless I see it, put my fingers in and hand in the side, there is no way I will believe. He was honest. He also waited. Acknowledge your doubts. Bring them to the Father. Bring them to your friends and wait on the Lord. It is okay to wait in doubt. It may take eight days. It may take eight minutes. It may take eight years. But the Father's timing is always perfect and exactly as it should be. And then we get this beautiful close, this book end. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. And I always wanted to know what those other signs were. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Life in his name. Life is beautiful and wonderful and hard, filled with joy and faith and doubt. But we can believe and have life because Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God and he's risen from the dead. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a God who meets us exactly where we are. That you do not leave us to our own devices, to our own wisdom. You don't leave us to try to figure out our own doubt. You don't leave us to try to read so much, learn so much that we push our doubt out of our minds and hearts. Instead, Lord, you give us faith and you give us your Holy Spirit that we might be encouraged and convicted and challenged. Please, Father, um, meet us in our doubts. Let us be patient in waiting for you and trusting that your timing is always perfect. Thank you for this community that you've given us, Lord, that we might doubt together because we trust that our doubts are very small when compared to your goodness and your glory. Please be with us on this beautiful day and may we see you, Lord, in all of the glorious creation that you've given us. We give you all praise and thanks in the name of Jesus and by the power of your spirit. Amen.